take your Bible and turn to Haggai chapter 1. Oh, the joy of being a pastor. And the one thing they teach you in preaching school, you've got to preach a Christmas message. You've got to preach an Easter message when it comes to Father's Day, Mother's Day. Um, boy, just make a judgment call. And if you can find a way to fit it in your current series, I mean, keep going. Uh, and then there's this one unspoken rule that no one ever says, but everybody knows it. On Mother's Day, say only really nice things. On Father's Day, rake them over the coals. Everybody expects it. <laughs> Y'all know it's true, right? <laughs> Y'all know it. But we're all equal opportunity centers, aren't we? So, um, but we're not going to do that today. I want to encourage moms. And as we start this book of Haggai, we have three more minor prophet books, and then we finish our whole 12 minor prophet series. And so, but as we read this text today and we look at it, I actually think it has something valuable uh, for our souls, even in application of a day like Mother's Day. Would you do this? Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word? In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, he's the king of Persia, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does it so to put them into a bag with holes. Anybody know what that feels like? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look, to, you look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and in all their labors. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Beautiful words. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people the Lord's message, I am with you, declares Yahweh. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Will you go to me, with me in the word of prayer over this word? 
Let us capture the original intent for the original audience. And from here make application for the glory of God, the good of our souls, for service to the kingdom. Let us be encouraged in the Lord, convicted in the Lord, and exalt the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. If there is someone here who has, at this point in life, placed their salvation in what they can do to earn a way into heaven, may you show them today that they're too bad of a sinner to ever do that. The only way is to fall on our knees in repentance. Admit that we're sinners and accept that you have absorbed God's wrath in our place. Let them come to you today. Let them trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And God's people said, Amen. I'll try to keep this as brief as I can today. Everybody needs to... I know we want to beat, we want to beat everybody to Mother's Day brunch. Haggai chapter 1. So here's what's going on in Haggai right here. By the way, great name if you want to choose it. If you're still looking for baby names, here you go right here. Or Zerubbabel. That's a good one. Okay, no one's taking that one. Don't know Zerubbabel. But I'll tell you, here's what's going on in the background of Haggai. Haggai. Um, after this, Zechariah. And then after that, Malachi. We're now what's called the post-exile prophets. These are prophets after Israel has now come back from being in Babylonian captivity. There was a king by the name of Cyrus of Persia, Cyrus the Great. And when he took over Babylon and the Persian Empire took over, he allowed the Jewish people to return back to their homeland. And he allowed them to start rebuilding their temple. When you come into the book of Haggai, what had happened basically is it was 16 years later after they had already built, started building the temple, the temple building had been stopped. If you recall, during when Babylon came, they destroyed Solomon's temple. But yet when the people came back to the land and were allowed to return back to the land by the edict of King Cyrus, they started to rebuild the temple. But however, the, the enemies in the land had really kind of thwarted them politically, so they stopped rebuilding the temple. Sixteen years later, the temple's not refinished. It's important for the Jewish people that the temple be rebuilt because this is how they worship the Lord. This is where they meet with the Lord. It's a part of the fabric of their society. Ultimately, it's also important that they build this temple again because that temple would be the temple that the veil would be torn when Jesus was on the cross. That temple was a way to keep pointing forward to the ultimate temple of God that would come someday, Jesus John 1.14, it says that Jesus tabernacled among us. He templed among us, pointing to Jesus. So here's what's happening. The next temple is needing to be rebuilt, but yet the work had stopped for political reasons. But in our text now, it's not for political reasons anymore that it hadn't re, they hadn't started rebuilding that temple again. It was time for them to do it. The king that had been in position here later, King Darius of Persia, he was very pro, let's get the temple done. But yet the people couldn't because the people were self-absorbed. They were selfish. Life was about themselves. And so in the text what we find is a challenge, a challenge to examine oneself, consider our ways. And as they considered their ways, God began to do a change. They began to repent and all of a sudden, they're rebuilding the temple just as God had wanted them to do. So there's a couple of things I want to point out. And really, the title of my message, it's a weird title, kind of, How to Have a Happy Mother's Day. How to Have a Happy Mother's Day. All right? We could call this How to Have a Happy Father's Day. How to Have a Happy Day 
no matter what. That's kind of the, the end goal title of my message. We'll see if it all ties together. It makes sense in my head, but I don't know if it's going to happen for, for everybody else. But when we look at the text overall. Here's, this is what's being communicated. The Lord, through Haggai, is speaking to the people, speaking to the leaders, and the people are challenged, and you see them considering their ways. In the end, they discover something glorious. So let's first start off with this idea. The, ba- the, the main line idea that you see in the text, you look in verse 4. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So the end result here was basically the people had given up on God. They'd given up on continuing to worship the Lord. And they went ahead and said, let's focus more on our homes than on the work of God. And, and, and by the way, I'm not trying to make some application like, you mean that we shouldn't take care of our house and we should care more about the carpet, you know, in the church, right? Or, you, you know, oh, this is another sermon, give more to your church. Well, your church is, this is not a temple in here, right? So what we're, we kind of find here, a, a bottom line truth is this idea that the people had cared more about their own lives than they cared about what God had wanted for their lives. And that happens all over our society. And I think that's one of the hardest things of mothering, fathering, is when you get so caught up in what's happening in your home to the exclusion of your soul, that's when you really start getting really tired in the work. And you can see this. As a father, as, uh, when you're mothering, if when you're disciplining your kids, and I say you, when we, when we're disciplining our kids, but our goal and focus in the moment of our discipline is self-related. It's all about self. It's all about you see the offense of your children is really against you primarily and not the Lord. It starts to get kind of discouraging because children are terrible saviors. Can I get an amen? They're terrible saviors. If you base your identity and worth and value on how your children respond and react and the perfection of what you expect. And if you buy into all the kind of airbrush happy ads of the parent magazines that somehow, who knows who put you on that subscription, right? But you just keep getting them and you've never bought them. Of the happy family, you know, you know people, <laughs> the only people that, that are really happy are the people who take pictures and put them on Facebook. They're not as happy as what you really think they are, right? That's what's great about pictures. But we build this kind of idea where when we even go into train and discipline our children, we, have, we base it so much on our identity. Like, I must be a failure as a father if my kids are acting this way or as a mother if I'm acting this way. And then I would say, have you ever looked about the Lord? I mean, the Lord's the perfect parent, and look how his children turned out at times. So is this is what happens in that moment. That's an exalting of self. That's basically, you're just concerned with the panels of your own home and not the glory of God, not pleasing God. Here's how gospel-centered, thriving parenting happens. When I train and discipline my kids, it's primarily for the glory of God and their good. Now, that doesn't mean you won't get hurt in the process, but that does mean this. You're kind of like Teflon. 
right? And if your children don't become the product of what you hope they would be, you, you realize in the end it really wasn't about me. But when we discipline and train our kids and we see this idea of this is primarily an offense against me first, then the Lord, then start, things start to go wonky in our souls. And before you know it, we're building these paneled houses. We've really made it kind of a self thing and there's no grace in that. This is what's happened in our text of Haggai. The people have become kind of consumed inwardly. They've really become self-focused. And that self-focus has led them down all sorts of wrong paths. But actually, when they turn it around and their focus becomes the glory of God. I want you to look in verse 8. He says, go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house. Talking about the temple. That I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. Do you see this? Take pleasure in it and be glorified. What did the Lord say to them? He said, listen, this is a way to actually to have the joy of the Lord. I, I want you to rebuild the temple for the glory of God, for the pleasure of God. What makes mothering so exciting when it's for the pleasure and glory of God? What makes mothering a Teflon issue sometimes where you may be hurt but not hopeless by the results? is when it's always been about the glory of God and the exaltation of His name. But here's what happened to the people. They got self-focused. They started building their own homes. And by the way, it was very convenient and pragmatic. Why? Because they could go... (coughs) Excuse me, COVID cough. All right? Just kidding. I've had both vaccines. You're cool. All right? Now now everybody's really going to run for me after church. All right? I got a mask. We'll be good. Man, I totally lost my train of thought just now when I said that. (laughs) All right. I got it back. I think I got it back. So I want to point out a couple things about in this text that's going to help us. First, I want you to notice this. First off, when the Lord has this message to speak to the people, I want you to notice who he speaks it to. Look in verse 1. And the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The first thing we see the Lord speaking this message of of glorifying me, exalting me, getting life from the self-focus to the God-focus, right? Which would be, for them in their context, evidence with the rebuilding of the temple. It would be first to the leadership. He speaks to the governor, Zerubbabel, which, side note, Guess who Zerubbabel has descendant from? Jehoiakim, right? Another name. Maybe you want to use it, right? And then when you go over to the New Testament, guess what line, guess what line Jehoiakim leads to? Jesus, right? So Zerubbabel, just the fact that he's a governor here, tells you that God was faithful to preserve that messianic line, that that messianic line would sometime come to Jesus. And that's free and extra. You didn't have to pay for that one. But, right, you got the leadership being spoken to here first that, hey, it's time to do some examination. I'm going to speak to you first before we speak to the, the, speak to the rest of the people. And just something to really encourage us as mothers, as fathers. First, the Lord speaks to us. It really starts with us, the leaders of the home. In fact, everything starts with leaders. In fact, if you're in any kind of leadership in your business, you want to know what the best kind of leadership is in your place of business and work? It's called servant leadership. That makes the difference all across the board. Servant leadership is, 
I exist in this leadership position for the glory of God and your good. Have you ever noticed how most of our management kind of works in our country? It's really management and leadership exists for their good and whatever you can do for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you work in jobs that are like that. Where if you're in any kind of leadership position in the outside world or inside the home, the kind of leadership that God wants is called servant leadership. Servant leadership is... I do this for the glory of God and the good of the people. How may I serve you? I like to use the phrase that, that uh, UPS uses. I don't think they use it anymore, but what can Brown do for you? That's what God wants. So that's in the text. He comes to the leaders first, Zerubbabel and Joshua, before they go and deliver this to the people. And I will say this on Mother's Day, on Father's Day, when we even talk about a home, What do your children, what do our children, what do they need to see from us? Servanthood. Now that doesn't mean that we never allow them to clear their plates or to clean out a dishwasher or anything of that nature, okay? Actually, there can be a side problem with that. As a parent, have you ever saw yourself as a servant, but yet there was kind of a convenience in that service where you said, you know what, I'm just going to clear out the dishes myself. You know, I'm just trying to serve here. But in the back of your mind, you're really kind of like, I don't like how they do it. It's inconvenient. I can do it better and quicker, right? Y'all don't, we don't know nothing about that, do we? And instead of training them for the glory of God and their good, we hinder and, and, and tamp down the training of our kids as it should be. I've even discovered this as a dad. There's sometimes where... I just do things because I can do it quicker and more efficiently. And there comes a point when, I mean, remember, like, <laughs> years ago, I was talking to a couple, and um, it, it was interesting. I talked about replacing the filter in my home. And I, I don't know um, if you've ever seen, you ever go to the aisle and see the big the filters, you know, in the store? And have you ever seen, like, you got your regular filters that are like an inch or something like that? And then have you ever seen, like, the five, six-inch filters, and you're wondering, what psycho has that? <laughs> Me, all right? I'm that one guy having to buy that size filter. That's the size of my filter. So I remember talking about that, and I remember uh, a young couple saying, I don't, like, you know, they'd owned a home, and they kind of looked at each other when I said, you've got to replace the filter in your home. And they kind of looked at each other and said, and they've owned a home for several years, and we're kind of like, we have a filter? They didn't even know it. What happened there? Well, more than likely, they had great servant parents, but those servant parents weren't, weren't giving them the training that they need. So we find in the text here this interesting thing that he first comes to the leadership and says, consider your ways. I mean, you, you have to first come to the leadership. So when the leaderships are walking in servant humility, you find that that can bleed out to everybody else underneath. Now, don't think that's perfection. But there's a greater opportunity. You know, mothers, you know how I love about mothers is mothers are so service-oriented. That's what they do. They give, they give, they give. They give naturally of themselves. And this is why, this is why I think it's a great time to honor mothers uh, on a day like this, is to honor the selflessness of how they, of how they actually serve, of kind of how, what they actually do. I think that's the awesome thing. Children, listen. If you, don't, if you didn't know it's Mother's Day today, today's a great day for you to tell your mother not only that you love her, but to acknowledge the ways of sacrifice that she does. And mothers, if you don't get that acknowledgement, I want you to realize 
you were doing it for the glory of God and their good anyways. Oh, it's sweet and nice to have, but you, do, you don't have to crawl into the corner in the fetal position if you don't get it, right? I mean, like, here's the thing that's so surprising sometimes, I think, about parents. We get surprised that our kids are sinners. Like, we get surprised that our kids are sinners, right? But in the end, this whole parenting thing, this mothering thing, this fathering thing, this leadership thing, was never about me. It was about the glory of God and the good of others. So first he starts off with the leadership, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Which, by the way, just another side note, you see traces of the gospel, right? You see this word Joshua means saves. We can't help but see in the text coming back into the land. We see, we see the civil government being led by someone in the line of David. And we see a high priest with a name that denotes saving. It's all pointing to Jesus. And we see them coming into the land and this idea of you need to build this third temple, right? And by the way, you'll discover later on that when they, when they finish, when they lay the foundation of that third temple, they're kind of disappointed because it doesn't look like Solomon's temple. But actually, that's a really good thing because that third temple was really just more utility temple, not to be praised like the Solomon temple, because that third temple is just really there for utility. Because there was no Ark of the Covenant in the back of that third temple. That third temple was just really more utility to keep pointing them towards the law. To keep pointing towards Jesus so that someday that veil could be torn in that third temple. And that temple would no longer be needed. It was more about utility. Now we find this. Zerubbabel, Joshua, they're spoken to first. And then it goes out to the people. Look down at your text. Look in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet... It is time for you yourselves uh, to dwell in your panel. It is a time for you. Back up. Let me read again. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you need to consider your ways. So now we're speaking out to the people. You have sown much. You've harvested little. You eat, but you've never had enough. You drink, but you never get your fill. You clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's kind of like you got money, but it's burning a hole in your pocket. So here's what happens. These people had so self-focused on themselves and their whole society that no matter how much they tried to grip onto joy and pleasure, harvest more, work more, do more, it never satisfied. It never gave what it, it never gave the payoff. Even what a great application for us and our souls as parents is when we base all of our identity in what we can get from our kids, that's, it's like burning, it's like holes in your pocket with money. I mean, and what a great illustration. I mean, by the way, don't you ever, have you ever realized this? Those of you who in your earlier days, like in your 20s, you remember in your 20s when, you know, when you were making maybe 100 or 200 bucks and you probably thought you were rich, right? And then you kind of get through life and start making more and then you're just kind of like, man, I still feel like I'm just as broke as I was before. That's what it's like here. No amount, no amount will, will actually help them. And in the end, actually what was really beautiful about how God set up their society was that as long as they obeyed the Lord, that the Lord would actually bless them agriculturally. But they had forgotten the Lord. They had decided to just focus inwardly on their old paneled houses while the temple lay in ruins. So God comes to him and tells the, from the leadership to the people and says, you've got to stop, you've got to go a different direction. It's, you can't be self-focused anymore. Life has to be about the exaltation of the Lord and the glory of God. 
And by the way, just as a side note, even as a, if, you're, if you're in the discipline of your home, if you're being trained, if you're a child to a teenager in, in the home, like every time your parents ask you to do something, the best reason to do it is for the glory of God and the good of your parents, knowing that God uses that. I, I, have you ever been asked to do something and you complained in the moment? No one knows anything about that, right? What changes that? Well, the reason you complained in the moment is because you actually thought life was about your own paneled houses. That was the reason. That's why you complain. But as a child, as a teenager, when you actually realize, wait a minute, my parents just asked me to do this for the glory of God and the good of them, I'm actually going to do it. And by the way, just a side note. I always have this thing where I hear all the time that someone will go, like, you know, someone being raised will go like, I just don't have time to do it. And then you can, here's what I love about cell phones. I'm going to be so mad if these are in glory. But I will tell you this. This has taken away all our excuses in life, right? Like, if you've ever said, like, Mom, Dad, I had no time to actually do that. Really, right? Well, let's take a look at Instagram or TikTok or Yo-Yo or Fruit and Nuts. I'm just (laughs) naming out. I don't even know if those are real apps, but it just sounds like. Fruit and Nuts sounds like an app, right? I wrote, I wrote down some fake names here. Just like Laffy Taffy, Cubist, Zanzibar. I mean, I just was thinking of some crazy names. It doesn't matter. All those have taken away any reason to go, I don't have time for it. That's what I love about the whole app-driven technology world. When we get before the Lord and we say, I was just really too busy, then the Lord can go, really? Well, let's take a, let's take a accounting of your digital world and how much time was wasted in that. So I'll tell you this, like, listen, if you have time for TikTok, you have time to rinse your plate. And like, if you have time for Instagram, when you do have a dirty plate and then you go to put it in the dishwasher, right? But there are clean dishes in the dishwasher. You can either put it in the sink or, this is crazy, I can't believe I'm about to say it. You could empty the dishwasher yourself and put it up. Crazy, isn't it? I know this is crazy. I know this is crazy. I know you're thinking like, well, not when I'm on Laffy Taffy, all right? That that app takes a while. If we were Pentecostal, y'all would be running around the room like into you know, running sprints and stuff like that, right? Sometimes I wish we were. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they they we were talking about Jesus and like this. This guy said like this one quick phrase about Jesus, then he just took off running, right? He just took off running, you know. I was like, man, I wish I could do that, but I waddle too much. So we come to Haggai. This is the people. There's no, they thought they were gripping for joy. Let me just get more substance, plant more, get more clothes. And, and everything just kept falling through in holes. Nothing actually is ever satisfied because it was all about their own self-glory, not the glory of God. So God says in verse 5, consider your ways, consider your ways. He says it twice. He says at one time, consider your ways to kind of go, hey, I mean, look at the results here. Although I'm not a fan of Dr. Phil, he has this phrase I've heard him say way back in the past when everybody used to listen to him, right? Where they would, he'd say, like, how's that working for you, right? Like, consider your ways. It's not working out for you. But then we look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I love that he says, consider your ways twice. 
He says in verse 5, consider your ways. Then he says, look at verse 6, the results. Now consider your ways in verse 7. Then go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take what in it? Pleasure and that I may be what? Glorified. By the way, this is a picture of how biblical change happens, actually. How do people change? Simple. You put off the unrighteous thoughts and actions and you put on the righteous thoughts and actions. Consider your ways. Put off all these things you do that basically had burned holes and then put on, consider your ways, put on the Lord's house. That's how you change. That's how a person changes in any shape, form, or fashion. You start to say, what are the unrighteous thoughts and habits that I have? And let me put those off. But you just don't put them off because you'll just throw another idol on it. You have to put those off and put something on. So, like in this text, it would have been put off the selfishness of just going after our own homes. And let's put on worshiping, exaltation, priority of the Lord. And, and here's what happens. In our mothering and our fathering, I mean, when, when we do our mothering for the glory of God and the good of our children, but what we're doing is we're removing self. Self isn't even about that. And, and what happens in the midst of that, we've now put on Christ. Because if you want to look about who truly is selfless, it's Jesus. What is Jesus' whole life about? Selflessness. What does Mark for what does Mark 10:45 say that the son of man came not to serve but not to be served but to serve what does God exalt all through the scripture he exalts humility and and he he abases he puts down anybody that exalts themselves if in any of our any of our parenting we are exalting ourselves and making it about us and not the glory of God that's we need to consider our ways now i know you're not supposed to say anything negative on mothers day but for the good of our souls, moms, how's it working for you? Do you feel like you're just burning holes in your pocket every time you're kind of thinking like my identity is based off of my children? No, your identity is based on the finished work of Christ. Your identity is based on exalting him. Your identity is built on that. And that's where you actually will be able to, be able to like keep your mind sane. And just so you know, if you haven't realized how vulnerable all of us are in our minds... Has not COVID kind of taught you the silence of the mind when you have no one to connect to at times and when all of life kind of gets kind of wonky? Don't you realize how? I mean, are you ever surprised at some of the thoughts that you've had this past year as the rhythms and fabrics of your of life kind of broke down? This is what happens when people start to make life really self-focused and not the exaltation of God. So here's what happens. Look in verse 7. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the houses, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And the truth is this. I love John Piper's, he kind of built his whole ministry on God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So this is what lost them. It wasn't about the Lord anymore. And there were convenient excuses, weren't there? There were convenient excuses. Oh, the politics of the moment, we can't keep building because remember what had happened 16 years earlier. Convenient excuses abound. So at this point, people would go, Nick, you do not know what my house is like. Nick, you do not know what my husband is like. Nick, you do not know what my in-laws are like. Like, Nick, you don't know my rhythms and how I work and the demand of my boss, and you just don't know. You're right. But I do know the one true God. And I do know... That in the midst of any difficulty, you can grow better and not bitter. 
if it's about his name and his exaltation and not yourself. And there is a beauty that God promises. When a person exalts themselves, God humbles that. But when a person is not exalting themselves and walking in humility, God exalts that. And I have seen people go through tremendous turmoil in life and come, come out so much better on the other side because it was all about exalting God anyways. All right, y'all still with, with me? So let's keep looking in the text, verse 9. He kind of reminds them and says, You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you bought it home, I blew it away, declares the Lord of hosts. Because the Lord doesn't share space. He doesn't want you to get satisfied. Declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. While the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth that withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and hills and grain and new wine and oil. On what ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labor. So the Lord says, you've been back in the land these last 16 years. And like I, I've, it's been miserable for you no matter how much you've tried because it hadn't been about me. It hadn't been about me. And then you just turn selfward, inward focused. Look verse 12 through 15 as we end this. Here's what I love. So they were confronted with their sin, their self-exaltation. Consider your ways. And rarely, so I had someone recently call me. I hadn't talked to them in, 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 in quite a while. But they went through something very traumatic in their life. They called me. I helped them. And, and, and here was the beauty of it. I helped them. It was terrible what they went through. And here's they did something so radical. I, rarely do I, do I see this happen. All right? They asked me what they should do. They asked for my counsel. And they did it. And they called me. This is later. And they said, Nick, can we send you some money? I was like, well, this is the best phone call I've got all day. <laughs> and they said, we just were talking about what happened. And it was so bad. And like how you walked us through that. And like it was such a pleasure. And I just said, listen, you don't need to pay me a thing. The simple fact that you did what I told you to do, and, it, and by what I told them, it, it, I, I can show you from the book and the principles and precepts why I would tell them what to do. It was completely counterculture, but you did it. And now look, what, look at the restoration that God like. That was totally enough for me. It was, it was just, and I told them, I said, I just tell you honestly, as much counseling as I do with people, it's rare that people actually listen to me. It's rare, just so you know. That means I'm going to stop doing it. It's just rare. So I told them that they did it. And God was exalted and their life is better now. So here's what happens. Something shocking like that happened. Have y'all been reading the Bible enough to know that God says to the children of Israel stuff over and over and over and over and over? And they're going to like, yeah, I know, but, right? But look what happens. This is the same thing. Like, I, I've... When I read this, I felt like I was having that same conversation with those people. Look at this. Look at this. Shocking. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, look at that dirty O word, obeyed. Ah. We don't see that very often. If you've been reading your Bible, doing the one-year chronology reading, if you've been listening to these minor prophets, you don't see that nasty O word a lot of times, do you? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai their prophet. And the Lord their God, the Lord had sent, and the people feared the Lord. 
They listened to God's word. They obeyed. A change of heart and change of life happened. Look at the exaltation that God does here. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's what the Lord says to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. You're not exalting yourself. You're exalting me. It's about my pleasure and my glory. I am with you, declares the Lord. By the way, when you see it say the word, I am with you, declares the Lord. Every time God makes covenants with God's people in the Bible, that's basically what a covenant is. God says, I am your God. You'll be my people. So he says, I'm with you. Whenever the Lord is with you, whenever you know that, I mean, you, man, it's like you're unstoppable. Then look at verse 14. Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the civil religious community, and the, what? Spirit of all the remnant of the people. So what do we find here? The people repenting, turning from self-focus, turning to God-focus, exalting God, not themselves, change of heart, a biblical change happens. And then what happens here? God says, I'm with you, exaltation. And God is stirring up the spirit from the civil to the religious to the people. They're being stirred up. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their host, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the year of Darius the king. So in the end, the people obey the Lord. And they experience the blessings of the Lord. But they only experience the blessings of the Lord because really, it wasn't about the blessing. It was about the blesser. So I can tell you this. As I end off this passage, here's what I love about this passage. It's a chance to exalt God. It's a chance to glory in Him. It's a chance to... Take a a firm, strong look at how our life looks, how mothering looks, how fathering looks, how life looks in in all aspects. And you can be energized. Why? Because the temple that they were building actually points us to a bigger and greater temple, Jesus Christ. It actually points us to the temple that will one day come and actually take our sins. And what's great about being a believer in Jesus is you get more than heaven, but you get God right now. And when you get God right now, that means you get to live a totally different way. You get to live a life that's not exalting self, but exalting God. And the happiest life is a life of exalting God. And the happiest Mother's Day is a Mother's Day where the the focus of life is not my glory, but your glory. I'm just an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer. If my kid turns out great, bless the Lord. If my kid doesn't, it wasn't in my hands. I am simply an instrument of grace. If the Lord doesn't give you children, then the Lord will give you other opportunities to mother. If your children are, if you're now empty nesters and your kids are out of the house and you're like, what am I going to do now? My purpose in life is gone. Then you, then you made your purpose wrong. Because when life is about the exaltation of God and his glory, there is always an opportunity to serve. And God exalts that. But where God will drive us down into the ground for our good is when we make life about ourself. And that self-focus eats us up. But what drives us up is is the exaltation of God. And what a great time to do that now is for us to take communion together. Because communion is all about exalting God. It's about remembering what we are, remembering what he's done, and that in the end, we never saved ourselves. It was only through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that we have salvation. Not our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. Will you do this with me?
Will you stand to your feet? Our worship team is going to come and we're going to sing to the Lord. And then after we sing to the Lord, we're going to take communion together. And then we're going to have a time of, of letting you edify the body. And then we'll, we'll do a baby dedication. Would you pray with me? I am so thankful for an opportunity to sing back to you, to sing a good gospel song, and to exalt you. When are we most happy? When we're singing about your character, what you've liked, what you've done. Where do you give most grace? God, our souls now, because some of us, as we take communion, will need to repent of a self-focus. And then we have this beautiful opportunity to remember, to remember you, and thus receive the joy and glory and exaltation and satisfaction that you give on this side of the eternity when it's all about you and not about us. Help us in that for this brief moment. Amen.